Hi guys, welcome to another exciting episode of Happy Being Well. We do have an exciting episode today. Um, it's not every day that I get a former fraudster, now turned good, good citizen of society, um, discuss his story and how he flipped things around and changed his life from being a fraudster to any, in, in, he actually served time in prison because of that. And now he totally did a 180 and it's a fascinating story. And I can't wait to hear the details of it. But before we dive deep with Sean Dustin, who is a podcaster and um, podcaster, he's got a podcast called Nowhere to Go But Up which can be found on Apple iTunes and Spotify and any other audio platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Before we dive deep with Sean, Justin, this podcast is sponsored by happybeingwell.com, your online store for yoga leggings, 100% natural facial masks, all natural essential oils, natural bath soaps, aromatherapy diffusers, sage, Palo Santo, natural deodorants, and much more at happybeingwell.com. Use code podcast25 for 25% off all leggings. Free shipping in the USA on all items. So Sean, welcome to the Happy Being Well podcast. <laughs> hey, what's up, Rita? <clears throat> I'm excited. I'm excited to talk with you about your journey. And I've, I've never had a former fraudster on the Happy Being Well podcast discuss basically his wellness journey from toxicity to wellness, like living a, you know, a mentally healthy lifestyle now, right? So, and it's just fascinating. Um, you know, that you can flip things around because we always hear people say, oh, you know, people don't change. Like if they're toxic, stay away from them. Um, but you defied the odds. You literally changed your ways. So talk to us, share with us. Like, you know, I know you're not a fraudster now. I know you, you hold down <laughs> a stable career. You're a stable person. Uh, you have your own podcast. How long have you been running your own podcast for? Uh, it's been going on for about, it'll be three years this May. Wow. Wow. I just released my 160th episode and you can see behind up here, um, that I had won a best mental health podcast, uh, award from my peers, um, uh, during, for the indie pods United group, um, bunch of independent podcasters that did a summit and all the people that hung out there, you know, we all listened to each other's stuff. So that was pretty cool. Mm, awesome. Congrats on that. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So Sean runs a personal development podcast, you know, hence the award for mental health podcast, best mental health podcast. Uh, so Sean, like, so you were a fraudster, dude. <laughs> you yeah. like erotic people. <laughs> It did, well, it didn't start. It didn't It progressed, you know, into into that. Um, but I mean, I've always, you know, from the time I was a kid, I always looked for the easy way around doing things. Right. 
mom would say, hey, do this. And I would find the easiest way, the quickest way, the most efficient way to get it done so I can go play or do what I wanted to do because everything that everybody else wanted me to do was not fun to me. It was boring. And like I needed mental challenges all the time. School was boring. Um, you know, I was I was the kid that, you know, got put in, you know, uh, the closet. You know, a lot of times my 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 uh, desk would face into the closet for most of the year. I had one teacher that would wrap my uh, whole desk in corrugated paper, you know, while while I'm in just like putting me in prison in class. Um, you know, just all just stuff like that, man. I was uh, really, 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 um, I guess ADHD. I just, I, I was always joking, always making fun of stuff, always, you know, looking for attention in any way I could get it. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, that would explain a lot. That would explain a lot in, ter in terms of, um, you know, wanting to experience more of life, you know, um, rebelling in your adult years, adolescent years. And um, so, okay, which, so how did you become, like, how, like, you become a fraudster? How did that come about? Like, did you, were your parents fraudsters? Mm -mm. Uh, you learned from your parents? Like, did you, was it your friends? Like, how did that happen? So the whole, my whole dad's side are a law enforcement. My grandmother was even a police officer. She was the first female police officer in <clears throat> El Cerrito or no Berkeley PD. So all of them were cops. And so I went the complete opposite direction. Um, you know, I was getting in trouble, you know, really early age. Uh, my parents divorced when I was five. I got kicked out of preschool. I mean, I, who gets kicked out of preschool? This guy um, always in trouble. And you know, it, this went on and went on and went on and went on until I was in, um, I got into high school, uh, a freshman in high school. And then somewhere in that, in, in that time frame, I think it was when we went on summer break. Uh, so my freshman into sophomore year, I got into doing methamphetamine. And back then it, it's crystal now, back then it was called crank. It was biker dope, it was nasty stuff. Um, but that, you know, I was 16 and I was doing meth at 16 years old off and on, um, you know, got, went to my first, uh, went to juvenile hall, you know, around that time for the first time. Um, and then I also did a 151 at the boys ranch that didn't, that didn't uh, deter anything. Uh, finally, you know, I got in so much trouble that uh, the PO was like, Hey man, you're either going to go to do nine months of juvenile hall, or you can go and do this drug program because, you know, when I got in trouble, I'm like, Hey, I, I have, I got a problem with drugs. You know, I was really good at manipulating and figuring out the easiest way and the easiest route of what I wanted to do. Right. So it was like, okay, uh, nine months in juvenile hall with a bunch of guys or six months in a drug rehab that's co-ed. I'm going to go with the co-ed one. Right. And, and, you know, I was always driven 
through women and sex as well. So, I mean, there was a lot of dysfunctionality going on with me at a very young age. I was exposed to porn at a really young age. And so, you know, and not just like playboys, but penetration. And you're not supposed to see that kind of stuff when you're a kid because you don't know what to do with it. But what you do know is what it what it did when you saw it and the, the reaction that you got. And so from that point on, it was uh, always chasing girls. Um, so I ended up, uh, oh, what, what ended up happening? So I, I did all of that. I went to a drug rehab. I spent 16 months there. Um, it was a group home. It was like a, a, a residential, no, it was like a um, therapeutic community. So like literally, there would be hot seats where people that you, people that you live with call you out right on your behavior. And I would always get it. And I would never, I was like the cool guy. Right. And I couldn't show emotion and, you know, people were yelling at me and I'd start yelling back at them. And like, I really wasn't, I wasn't getting the program at all. And six months had gone by eight months had gone by. And I'm like, when am I getting out? And they're like, you're not <laughs> until you, until you, you know, do until you, I guess, surrender. I, I mean, that's the only way I could, I could, uh, I could see it. And it was the first time that, 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 that saying surrender to win became very apparent to me. And I, I cause I never understood it. And in, in, in that moment when they said, you're not, until you surrender and then i was like oh okay okay I, I get it now and so i did and i did really well um completed the program uh was one of the poster children for this program ended up giving a speech to 500 educators and legislators for the state of california uh for this program once I got out of it and started doing all kinds of stuff, I was writing essays and, you know, getting grants from, from awards, awarded grants from my writing stuff. I was going to a bunch of high schools and doing outreach work and, and all kinds of stuff. And so like, I was like, they're, they were super proud of me and, and the change that I made, like from when I got there to, to when I left. I went to the emancipation house. I didn't go back home. Uh, and then I moved, went to my, my, my brother. It was my brother is now my sister. Right? I have a trans sibling. I didn't realize that that was going on until I moved there. He had told me prior to that, that, you know, it was for a role in a movie. He was you know into acting and well, I guess you can't say he now. huh? What was he then? So that's what, that's what we're talking about. We're in this part of the story. So anybody out there that, that is into like that properness, don't trip. It's my, it's my, it's my sibling. <laughs> we dead name, we dead, we dead name her all the time at family gatherings. It's just, it's impossible not to when it's a family member. Um, so anyways, uh, and I, in, 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 it wasn't that it was like all day dressed like a woman. And at some point I'm like, I was okay. 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 But at some point it just got to be too much. Like what's going on. And then it did. And then when I really found out it didn't really go so well, cause I didn't take it so well. <clears throat> and so I ended up getting kicked out of there, 
went back to my mom's, um, stayed there for a little while, found another girl, a girl to, to use. And I screwed her life up, uh, pretty good, uh, just through, you know, she bought a car under my name. Um, she was going to use that. She used that money to buy the car, but then something happened and the, you know how they, they let you take it, even though it's not funded. And then if they can't get you funded, then they call you and, and tell you, Hey, you got to bring the car back. We can't get you a loan. And so that happened. And so the money that she had put down was like three grand was sent to me was the check was in my name and I ended up blowing all that money. And that was money that she was going to use to move. So now she had to move in with me from down there. And so it was, I was, that was one of the first times where I, I fucked somebody over pretty good financially um but i mean there's a long list of that you know especially when i got deep into my addiction it really didn't matter you were you were a means to to the end of anything that i needed and you didn't matter to me anything like i would tell you i loved you but i had no love for you you know i was just a super cold person like that and um so anyways that was my first sort of like getting in trouble right and then i got out of that i did okay uh, for a couple of years and then i just sort of slipped back into it i moved into a place our downstairs neighbors were uh crank addicts you know uh, meth addicts and so it was right downstairs you know we started started using um started partying ended up getting a fight with that roommate who I was friends with from high school. And then me and the, me and the girl that I screwed over, we moved out and this, I mean, we went, so this was another attempt at like, once I split up from that, then I started to do good again. Right. So the friends, the influences, all right. I went and started getting a job, got another job and was doing well. Then another friend came out of the blue and me and him started, uh, making runs up to chico california and selling drugs and doing all kinds of stuff i wouldn't come home for weeks at a time and uh you know be cheating on my girlfriend and that went on for a while finally she got tired of it um and i caught her cheating on me so i got a little bit of my own medicine back uh i did some fucked up shit to her i'm not going to talk about that not like i didn't beat her up or anything like that but cost her some money financially for some things that happened um and then that what is that uh, that period in time like i'm not in trouble yet when i when i split from her i try to get another apartment in the same apartment complex because i'm friends with the, the the apartment manager that's right that's right i was friends with her i would hang out with her and was partying with her so she knew everything that i did over in this place but still let me rent a place um so i just have always had people like bailing me out or just slide right into a situation um you know i, I i'd never been homeless um i've always managed to find a couch or or something you know, uh, to crash on. And I ended up with three jobs. So I try, I really, really tried to, to do well. Right. I would always try to do well. And cause I knew that this life over here, I just, I couldn't quite, it always would just end up in the way that I don't need it to. Right. And so I try, I try to crack at it. 
so I had a job. I got a job as uh, working at El Torito, which is a Mexican restaurant. So I'd work the, the dinner and the lunch shift there. I would go to, I had another job as a personal trainer over at uh, 24 hour fitness in the morning. So I would get my workout on at work there. Then I would get lunch and then it, I'd get dinner. And at nighttime, I worked at a nightclub, which was a, you know, a, a dance club. So I would be able to drink and party and meet all the girls that I wanted there. So everything was working in courtesan with itself. And, but that only lasted for about I don't know, six months and I burn out. I was like, I couldn't do it. You know, I would get home at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, you know, by the time you sent somebody home and then I'd have to wake up again in three or four hours. <laughs> so it just didn't work out. So like I said, I would always try to do good. Uh, but the party lifestyle, the drugs, the selling drugs, all of that, for whatever reason, it just, it, it attracted me. I liked the attention. Honestly, I got to be honest with you. I liked the attention. I liked the fact that, you know, people would always come to my parties. People would always come and want to hang out with me. I knew all of the strippers. I was friends with them and I slept with a lot of them. Um, and not to brag, but I mean, that's just what it was. You know, when you're the, the two go together, drug dealing and, and, and strip clubs, you know, because I made a lot of money in those places and it uh, they just kind of go together. I ended up um, getting together with one though, and I got her pregnant. And this was when we moved to Vegas. This was still before I went to prison. I was still, you know, doing my thing, partying and doing all that. She got pregnant. I had some beef with somebody who would, if we ran into each other again, I was probably going to be the one that didn't end up walking away from it because this guy was pretty crazy. And I didn't want to, and I was a coward, man. I mean, I, I'm going to run. I, I got to go. Bye. You know, self-preservation was was my main thing, you know, making sure that I was taken care of, making sure that I was fed, that I had somebody's money. <laughs> Didn't necessarily have to be my own. Um, and that's just how I rolled. And so we ended up moving to Vegas, tried again, tried to do the do the right thing, tried to, tried to be, you know, the good guy. But ran into a friend from from back in sacramento that was living up there and he ended up moving in with us and started partying again uh my exes um so this was when i had my first daughter uh jordan is what i named her her she goes by elizabeth now but um i had a daughter and i was just I was just not doing well. <laughs> Let's just say that I was not doing well. I was still uh, screwing up and I had done something. They, my ex went on a uh, Christmas to back to California. I dropped her off. I, I had her vehicle and I totaled her. I totaled her vehicle while she was away. Um, I was doing some GHB and I was driving down Flamingo going South and right before um, Las Vegas Boulevard, I think that's what it was. No, it was uh, Boulder Highway. Where Boulder Highway and Flamingo are about to intersect, I ran right into a telephone pole and tacoed my, the, her car and totaled it. And there's a whole other long story that goes right after that because I bounced right out of that thing and went right across the street to the 7-Eleven 
got a Gatorade. The person that watched the whole thing is just looking at me going through the store like, oh, what the what is going on? What did I just see? And how does he and how is he walking? <laughs> <laughs> and I went and I got a Gatorade and I got the Gatorade so I can do some more GHB. Got high and pat and blacked out and ended up way down the street somewhere in at a uh some sort of a, a drive-through. I mean, it was it was early in the morning, so the drive-through wasn't open, but I was in in the drive-through staring at the menu, like nodding in and out and had no idea how i got there so i walked there somehow anyways there's way more to that story too much to talk about um so this is getting close to to you know um where i i sort of take the how old were you were you still like 17 18 19 no this is this is when i went to to vegas i was probably in my 22 3 4 because that was 2008 9 and so if i'm 48, 73, 83, 93, uh, 2003. So 2003, I'm 30. Wait, you're 48 now? Are you yeah, there's no way. No, 73, 83, 93, 2003, 2013 is 40. And it would have been in the early 2000s. Uh, yeah. 2006, you would have been like 27. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And so I went right after that because what ended up happening is I got a DUI and got my ass handed to me by the highway patrol. Um, and then I was served while I was in jail. I was served by my ex to, uh, to take away my parental rights, basically. So she wants, she was trying to get my rights terminated. And when I got out, I knew what the court date was. I'd seen her. I went, I was at a strip club the night before um, I was supposed to go to that uh, court date and I never showed up. I just washed my hands of it. I was sort of like, well, at least I'm going to get out of paying child support and she's better off without me anyways. Cause look at me, I'm a mess and I have no intentions of trying to even get better. And then that was the beginning of the end. So so even though I felt like that wasn't going to affect me and I was doing the right thing, subconsciously it wrecked me and I went straight downhill from there and everything I was doing was getting worse and worse and worse. And I was getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into whatever I was doing uh, from that point on. Mm -hmm. I started hanging out with uh, people that like cartel ish sort of people and i didn't really even know you know that that's kind of like when i think about it now that the type of people that like i would find myself in a room with like whoa you know what i mean it's like mm, huh it's very those are very scary people <laughs> yeah 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 for sure yeah. i mean you know and like i found i would find myself in uh crack houses even though i'm not a, i don't do crack but, you know, there's a, a story that has to do with me finding myself uh, in a place called Naked City in Las Vegas, uh, right behind the Stardust, which is a, a ghetto sort of, you know, a bunch of uh, ho housing development or, you know, like like commons that poverty kind of commons, ghetto commons, you know, what they would, would be considered. But you were addicted to meth, right? Couldn't find any. 
and so I, did, I was driving my friend, my roommate's um, drop top Benz at four o'clock in the morning and couldn't sleep and like, well, I'm just going to go for a cruise high on GHB and uh, some girl I'm on industrial Boulevard. Didn't even think nothing of it. And down the street from crazy horse Two, which is a very popular uh, strip club. Didn't realize that there were hookers walking down these streets. Right. So I just thought it was a regular girl. And she's like, Hey, and I'm like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> and I pick her up and she asked me as we were driving, she said, can I get a ride down to the seven 11? I'm like, sure. And she's like, I don't suppose you want a date. And I'm like, huh? A date. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. That's not what I want. Can you give me some crank? Can you get me some meth? Can you get me some, like, what kind of drugs can you get a hold of? That's what I was asking her. And uh, she's like, well, I can't get a hold of anything other than crack. And I'm like, oh, fuck it. Let's just do some crack then. And uh, she takes me back to her place and it ends up in this this other place. And there's this big ass black dude sitting, laying on the couch. And we go, I mean, it was a crazy situation, right? I'm not going to get into the rest of it. But needless to say, I was quiet for three days. I could not speak for three days just because I'm trying to process how I got to where I was at. Like, how did you end up in these situations that you got yourself into, you know? So, like, okay, so you were a fraudster in the sense of, like, um, basically conning women out of their money. Is that kind, kind of, but so that that's kind of how I got. That's That's how I sort of lived, right? And it wasn't. I don't know if it was necessarily intentional. I mean, it was intentional, but not intentional. Like I kind of cared about you, but I cared more about everything else, but you though, you know what I mean? I had to care about you to get what I needed from you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so right around this time I'd gone to, um, I'd gone to jail for that. I'm going to skip forward because we're going to end up, this, this is a long ass story. So <laughs> yeah. So like, gonna, how did you get into prison? Like what led you to prison? And so I started selling a lot, a lot of meth. Right. So I hooked up with this dude <coughs> and I was buying quarter pounds at a time and I was selling ounces of meth. And so I was doing this for about a year. And during that year, I had gotten a group of guys together that were guys that slammed drugs, right? They did it intravenously. And so I was paying them in drugs to go and do smash and grabs and get me whatever, just get whatever you can get. Uh, I gave them the vehicle to do it. And I would, you know, I was funding this whole thing. And so within a lot of this uh, stuff, I was able to sort of figure out little little fraud stuff right and then i hooked up with this other person who had um who was this chick that worked at a tour agency and she brought me a stack like this of information from customers so the customer would would book a tour right for a helicopter tour or something whatever it was so she would get the the name, the address, the phone number, the CZ, the, the CCV, the credit card number, the expiration, everything that I need 
to know where this person is. And so it's like the, the beginning of the beginning information of what you're going to need to, to steal somebody's identity if you're going to do it. Right. So I had so much of this information and I was trying to figure out how to, and this is where I got started in fraud. I was trying to figure out how to do wire transfers through Western union. Okay. And I would, I burned through like maybe 50 of these numbers, almost like testing the fence. Right. So I was testing to see where the flaws were. Okay. Well, this didn't work. So now, I, but this did. So I'm going to keep this. I need to throw this away and I need to try something else. So I finally got it to the point where I could figure out how to do it. And then I took that on the road. And so I figured out how to make IDs. I figured out how to do a bunch of other shit. Uh, when I finally got arrested um, and I got set up by the guy that I was working for. So the guy that I was buying drugs from, he got busted. He set me up with somebody, a CI, a confidential informant. I sold five times to an undercover cop and they were like literally watching me. So they were surveilling me. They were following me. They were telling me they were doing all this stuff. They knew that I had guns. They knew they knew everything. And so at some point I, I knew that that time was running. Like I just had this feeling that it, it was, it was going to be over soon. Right. Like my time was running out <laughs> for whatever reason. I don't know why I felt like that, but I did. So I got rid of all of my guns um, except for one and all the guns that I had were all had serial numbers filed off of them. So each one of those would carry five years if I got busted with them. And so I got rid of those and I had one. And then one morning, um, I know I'm skipping through a lot of stuff, but uh, one morning I ended up, uh, I was, I was counterfeiting hundred dollar bills too. That's right. And so I was working on a hundred dollar bill. I had it on the screen. I had a friend over, it was about three o'clock at night. The, the TV was on really loud. I had a TV that had a bunch of speakers. So it was always loud. Um, my girlfriend and her friend were asleep in the other room in my room with the door shut. All of a sudden I just heard boom, 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 boom. And the door was shut. So I didn't know what it was. I thought somebody in my mind, I thought somebody was doing a drive-by honestly. And so what I did is I grabbed that gun that I had and I, and I told my friend, I said, get down. And I went to the, I went and I opened the door. And just think of a hallway going this way. And, it, and at the end of the hallway, there's a, a sharp right. The front door is right there, but there's a giant big screen in front of it. So the door doesn't open all the way. So as I'm coming down, I, I, I everything's almost like in slow motion, right? And there's smoke. I see smoke. And so I, the gun is down by my, down by my leg. And I go and I look around the corner and I see the shields. And the back of the TV was right in front of me. So I ditched the gun behind the TV and I dove on the ground with my hands behind my neck, my back or my head. Um, I took the hit, the hit for all of that. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever gotten arrested for anything. So I didn't have any previous felonies or anything like that. Right. Um, they didn't find the gun because I was, I was being a smart ass to them when I was talking to them. So they zip tied me and, and hog tied me and zip tied me. And then they ran my head into the big screen. So it caved the whole TV in. 
but it pushed the TV up over the gun so they didn't find it. <clears throat> didn't find the drugs. Didn't find the cash. Didn't find anything. Um, I had it all hidden, you know, where I guess they couldn't find it. So three days later, they let me out of my own recognizance. Um, I come back, I clear out the house, I have all my cash, I have all my drugs. Um, and then I go and I start over and get a new pad and start the whole thing all over. Okay, I go on the run. I think, um, so you eventually go to prison though, right? Yeah, go I go to prison after this. So after I figured out how to do the whole uh, Western Union thing, I ended up going to prison not too long after that. Okay. When I got out is when I started doing like the credit card fraud, making credit cards, making IDs. It was when I, I went, I went in for three years. I did three years in state or 18 months in state for the drug trafficking charges. And then the gun that I had bought and a bunch of credit card numbers. I didn't even realize that I had when I, you know, that were in a box that was in the car that I got arrested in. And so I got charged with all that. And so I got the two felonies for the federal and I did my state time released, went to federal prison got out in 2006 all right so i got arrested in 2004 got out in 2006 um did a couple of violations um learned how to do all the fraud that i knew that was out there because when i went to prison i knew that there was other things that i wanted to do and i wasn't done i knew i wasn't done i was just waiting for the right time right and 2008 hit and that was the right time i lost my job i got into the union um early on uh, which is the union I'm still in now, which is a heat and frost insulator. So I'm a mechanical insulator by trade, which is uh, commercial construction. And so 2008 hit and I started going back around people that I shouldn't have been going around. And before I knew it, I'm back uh, making IDs and, and checks and I'm making them for people and I'm having them go cash it. Uh, then I get involved with somebody else who knows how to do all of the credit card stuff, like encode the back with the, you know, get buy the information from Russia, get it, put it on the back of the card. And literally you, you're that person now in, you know, it, we made the cards, we pressed them out, we did everything. And that was what I loved about identity theft was like I told you when I grew up, I didn't like myself at all. You know, I didn't because of all of that. Right. And I ended up for whatever reason, just finding solitude and not like, and not having to be me so I can go be somebody else and I can go, you know, be this guy or I can go be this guy or I can go be that guy. And it was for whatever reason, it was, I found solitude there, man. Like, I don't know. It was just weird. And uh, ended up getting busted. Um, no, I got out. I did some violations. I did a 90-day uh, drug treatment center, which I <laughs> bullshitted my way through that. I had my, I was still hanging out with the same guy that taught me how to do all that stuff. He had a business in San Francisco and wrote me a letter saying that I got hired there. And so they would let me go all day to go to work in San Francisco, which is I would go there and I'd get high all day and I would do, do crime all day and go back at night and, you know, try to go to sleep if I could, you know what I mean? But most of the time I couldn't. 
and then I got in trouble. I got busted. And luckily I had some synthetic urine and I passed the drug test, but they still kicked me out because they knew I was full of shit. My PO was like, yeah, you, you didn't graduate. So I'm, you're, I'm violating you again. And so this time I went to um, do a 90 day uh, jail term in a place I'd never been to. So before I went, I didn't want to be kicking drugs and I didn't want to be kicking cigarettes because like I had no idea what I was in for, you know what I mean? And I didn't want to be weak or, or impaired if I had to defend myself. So I stopped doing everything before I went in and just kept it going when I got out and started doing, I got involved in AA and then I started playing slow pitch softball, which sounds kind of crazy, but it, it got me away from the people and it got me around new people that are doing different things, you know what I mean? Than what I'm used to. And then from that point on it, it's just like, you know, my, my union was good and I got really involved in that. And it's almost like, so when you, when you start using drugs, your, your, your mentality and your maturity level stays at the same age that you started at. And when you stop and you've had some time away, you it starts to come back right you start to figure out and you start to mature as you're seeing things i mean i guess if, if for me that's what it was like you know i just sort of became more mature in, in the things that i was doing and my the risk versus reward factor was you know before it was like risk is up down here because the or the reward was way more than the risk because i didn't have anything to risk i wasn't i didn't have anything you know, I didn't have a job, didn't have kids, didn't have, you know, anything that I was really risking other than what disappointing somebody. All right. Well, I disappoint everybody all the time. There's nothing new. Um, so once I got more to risk versus, you know, I had more to risk versus the reward of going and partying and doing drugs was just like, eh. it's just at some point it outweighed it. And it, it made it to where it was like, I don't really want to do this anymore. And I don't like the person that I am when I'm doing it. And I don't like how I treat people. I don't like the fact that I have no retirement. You know what I mean? When everybody that I went to school with is so far ahead of me and here I am way back here, you know, still, still kicking a, kicking a can, <laughs> you know, haven't figured out how to drive yet. And uh, yeah, that's embarrassing. And so, I mean, there's just, there was so many things that came into play, you know, like just something got really clear and it was like, shit, you got a lot of work to do. <laughs> and, I mean, that's really what, what it came down to. And I just got busy, man. And I started doing all these things and the podcast and, you know, figuring out that, that being with my ex and being in a toxic relationship um, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about her, you know, she's, you know, the mother of my daughter and, you know, it, it's, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not in love with her, but I have love for her as the fact that you're this person that I have to, like, I have to respect because even though I may not respect you, I have to, because I need to show an example to my daughter. And so that's been like a huge thing for me because um, daughters fall in love with their fathers and then they end up trying to find the qualities in other men down the road 
that they were that they kind of grew up with with their dad and if i'm not showing up in a way that's like i like the way that i was being is not somebody that i would want my daughter to be with (laughs) and so like i've been trying my hardest to to like even from the the career like i was i was at one point before covid i was willing to give up like i was willing to try to get a job that was going to take me further away from her like i'd be traveling all the time and doing all kinds of stuff and covid when we got locked down i was you know now is taking her half the time and i was like dude no there's no way i can't i can't i can't walk away from this you know uh, we'd be missing too much and you know she's only four and these years are super important and i barely get enough time with her as it is so i need to try to get as much time as i can with her during these 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 years so you know she like i imprint on her you know mm-hmm. and so i mean it's that's really what what it came down to it's you know being responsible for a life and and being responsible for how that life turns out and I think that's where a lot of people get the disconnect. They're like, okay, I'm responsible for a life and, and, you know, I'm, I'm paying my child support and I'm doing my thing, but no, 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 that's not where it stops. Because if, if you raise a little asshole, it's your fault that everybody else has to put up with this little asshole now. And I hate to, 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 to say it in like such a, but didn't your parents raise a little asshole? <laughs> yeah. But, but, I'm trying not to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't want to follow their mistakes, right? I don't their even mistakes. know. So I just want to just kind of like, so you said some interesting points as you're discussing your journey. Um, number one, you like to do, you're doing it for attention. You liked attention. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, you didn't like who you were. So you wanted to be somebody else. Um, number three, you're saying that because it, because of the drugs, being addicted to drugs is what led you to, you know, con people um, to get money for basically drugs, I would assume. Um, so, so let's hit the rewind button. So do you know who Sean Dustin is today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I hate these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I hate these kind of questions where it forces you to think about like, like, who are you? Well, I'm a lot of different things. Um, I'm a father first, you know, um, I'm a good employee. I'm good at my job now. Um, it's not really what I want to be doing, but I mean, for right now, it's what, what pays the most, um, since the rest of the other things that I've tried to do haven't successfully taken off yet. Um, I'm driven, uh, I'm creative, um, outspoken. Um, let's see what else, uh, kind of a dick sometimes really, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a just like what you're saying I, I find that I like being alone more than I like being around uh, people um, I like animals more uh, my dog I love my dog 
I mean, my dog, he's helped me through some times, man. Me and that guy have been through it. Um, I love all animals. You know, it's like I, I have a hard time killing things. Uh, like even mice. Uh, you know, there, here's a, here's something you wouldn't know about me. Uh, caught a mouse in a mouse trap, but not the ones that snap. It's the one the glue traps, which are horrible because it, they they're still alive. A lot of times. Um, and- yeah. But like, do you know like what your beliefs are now today? What your values, like, you know, um, like who? What drives you now? Like, what motivates you? Like, who? You know, basically, our personality is a series of values, beliefs that form our identity, and like what motivates you, what drives you. The main drivers of human behavior stems from our values and beliefs. And so when you were a fraudster, I'm assuming you're sober now. I'm assuming you. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't drink hardly at all. And I don't do methamphetamine. Um, I do use uh, cannabis, but mostly for a, a medicinal, for like pain, edibles for pain, instead of taking the uh, opiates, which that, that was like a seven year deal. And, cannabis is actually what got me off of it so but you're no longer like a like an addict like an addict to like hardcore drugs like okay no i'm no longer an active addiction is the word you're looking yeah yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) these are things are kind of foreign to me i i don't have personal experience with it um yeah i actually did have um yesterday i interviewed lc lc um Curry from um, Recovery Soul Food. He was on. Oh yeah, Lona. She's. A sh- I've been on her show. I think. Yeah. So he was discussing his, um, you know, addiction journey and how that happened. But yeah, then I I just know from what I hear, um, from from movies or from other people. But I I don't have personal experience, so I can't imagine what that would be like um, to be addicted to you know something like like meth or anything like that um from but what i'm hearing you say though you're saying that it was the addiction that fueled you know your fraudster behavior right was that was it would you say that was driving your behavior to be a fraudster no i i think that the addiction to the rush of actually just doing it right going and committing it like when i when i got arrested um it was i think it was when i got arrested the second time at the best buy for doing when for actually doing that um i think it was new year's day i can't remember that i can't remember what year it was it was new year's day though and i had tvs in the box still i had plenty of cash I, i didn't need to do it it just became this thing that I needed to do. You know what I mean? That became the addiction. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it without being high. I had tried doing it without being high and it just didn't work. Like I always felt bad. You know what I mean? I needed the, I needed the drugs to excuse, to, to make me not care about doing what I knew was wrong. Does that make sense? 
Um, I guess so. Yeah. So you you needed to be high to to commit these immoral to items. commit the crimes, right? And so when I wasn't, I I had no interest in it. It just wasn't like because you had you had to focus on it and. I don't know. I, I was ADHD too, so undiagnosed. So I think that's part of the reason why I was so successful at doing what I was doing because I would literally do it to perfection, to completion. Like I would try to figure it out and I wouldn't stop until I figured it out, you know, versus a lot of people that I would deal with that did meth. It was completely opposite. They would have a bunch of piles of, of things they started and they couldn't finish any of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and it also sounded like it was like a game for you that it was an adrenaline rush, you know, that it's a lot it, of things. It gave you a sense that it was it was catering to your ego. Mm -hmm. Like an ego high from it. Um now you were saying that you also too you didn't obviously like yourself. Do you like yourself today? Yeah, I like who I'm becoming. I still I still have um behaviors that do not serve me you know i i'm not good in relationships still <clears throat> and i don't know if that's just because i don't i don't open up i don't let people in you know i keep people kind of at a distance and i mean even people that i live with and so that that causes a problem when someone wants to have a relationship with you and you're not <laughs> you're not very inviting you know uh, it's something that I'm, I'm working on but it's like it, it's so crazy i i think I, I purposely make myself so busy to not have to notice some of those things that i don't want to deal with mm -hmm. and so like that's the main one and so like i get so much love and and shit from my daughter and and my dog and, and sometimes it's like i feel like i don't i don't have enough for anybody else mm -hmm. and it kind of sucks when you know what i mean when when like i want to be there but it's just hard for me to be there right would you say you maybe like have anxiety around human relations today due to your past kind of like you know kind of just uh complex PTSD from the people that you were associating with in the past maybe a little and then a, a, and then I think a lot of it is just PTSD from from my own like what I've done to people in the past you know what I mean like the type of person that I've been so it's like I don't really want to get too close to you because I don't want uh, you know what I mean it's just bad things happen when you know you get a little too close to me um they're not bad but you know just old habits mm -hmm. and so sometimes it's just easier to to not to not put yourself in situations where old habits can can fester and 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 find light <laughs> so would you say like you're trying to work on trying to trust yourself more i'm just i'm trying to get into a position where where I can spend more time with my daughter. So right now the job that I have doesn't give me the ability to have her 50, 50 because I go to work at four o'clock in the morning. There's no daycares that are open at that time and it just doesn't work. And so 
I'm trying to figure out a way to pivot into something or get into something that's going to allow me to either a work from home more or, you know, so I can, you know, at least figure out how to get her 50 50 so I can take her to, to, you know, school and, and, you know, just be more involved in her life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, there was a reason why I stayed close and I'm in the next city that, you know, cause I know me, I know that when things get out of sight, they're out of mind for me. And it, it, I, I don't know if I would necessarily do that with my daughter, but I don't want to give myself the opportunity or the, the, the ability to make the excuse. So I made sure I stayed close. So that's what life has sort of been like for me, man. I'm ha- I have to, I have to, like, I know my tendencies. And so it's like, I have to hack myself all the time, mm-hmm. like, like set myself up to, to do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So when you, so when you say you have to hack yourself, what is, what does that process look like? How do you hack yourself to do the right thing? Like not placing myself in situations that I know that I, I will make an excuse for. Right. So with work real easy for me to just go, Oh, well, I don't feel like going today, you know, and tomorrow comes and I don't feel like going tomorrow either, you know, cause I know my job's not going to fire me for it. So I have to really, I have to like, play these games with myself like all right you got to go you got to go because you know there's these reasons there's these things that you need and it's it's like a daily thing to as soon as i get up all right come on get up let's go let's go let's go let's go you got to go you got to go you got to go you got to go and then i'll start to think of all the things that i need to do and and like it's this battle that i have with myself every day every day (laughs) it's not only with work it's with everything, mm-hmm. you know, anything that, that I can, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's just a constant battle that I think that I'll always have, I'll always have. Mm-hmm. Cause I have the tendency to want to not do the right things. Um, so what would you say you have two parts, right? And you're basically one part wants to do the bad thing. And then your, your other part is saying like, no, we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. And you kind of have to just like, you're talking, you're talking to the bad part. You know, you're basically having this internal conflict, this fight, and you have to talk, you're basically doing this inner dialogue on a daily basis to get your other part to get on board. (laughs) And it's a financial, it's a financial goal that I use usually to attain that. It's like, all right, well, <clears throat> like this week we have to make X amount of dollars. And so that, that gives me a goal to focus on. And it gives me, cause I know how many hours I have to work to make that goal. And so everything, like I have to make my process so simple in the morning, you know, from, from lunches to, you know, that just can't be anything that trips me up. Cause if something trips me up, I'll just not go. <laughs> I'll just say, no, I gotta, I, I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. So I'm hard so- to, I'm hard to interview cause I'm all over the place. <laughs> um, but the thing is, 
you found a common a common denominator between the two parts, the bad part and the good part. And that's how you're able to move forward and, and basically combine the, the part. But, just learning how to work with it. We'll work with what I got. You know what I mean? I know that I have these tendencies. So I need to figure out a way to work with them instead of having them always work against me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you basically, you've learned how to integrate those two opposing parts because the common denominator is finances. The bad part has an interest in finances and so does the good part. So you're, they're able to basically shake hands and cooperate mm-hmm. on, fi- on, a, on finances. Yeah. So you found a, a, a common denominator, which is, you know, which is what we all, and by the way, we kind of all have parts, you know, different parts. Like it's just a part of our, like it just some have it at more extreme levels than others in terms of like two values that clash together or two beliefs that clash together, you know. Um, what does that come from? What do, you, what do you think that what do you think that comes from do you think it's something that is is a defense mechanism from from childhood or like we're because i know most of our behaviors come or are learned through through our childhood like for me it was being a latchkey kid and learning how to do everything on my own and not having any kind of authority figures around and so you know how can anybody tell me what to do? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I've been doing it since I was, you know, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, parts, different part, we, we all pick up, we just adopt values and beliefs from our environment. Like one common um, popular, especially if someone's trying to become an entrepreneur or a business owner, uh, a common part, common parts conflict would be, I know for me years ago was, you know, I value having fun, right? Having fun, that's my value. And then I also value, you know, business success. And um, so, and, and, you know, having, in, but the thing is when the fun part is saying, oh, you know, I'm going to have to sacrifice time and sacrifice fun, you know, it's a lot of hard work. And so what happens is they just run up against each other. And then that's when procrastination and, uh, sabotaging, you know, building a business happens is when you don't deal with the two values um, that are, you know, in conflict. Um, you know, we just, just, it's just a normal part of being human. And that's why we have to expand our consciousness to recognize we all, it's why identifying our values and beliefs are so important. And that's why I've never done that. I've never done that exercise. I've never actually, you know, I've been thinking about Cause I I've, I've gotten a biz I have a business. I have a, a LLC that I got for the podcast. And then I also did a nonprofit. I have a 501 C three for, I was going to try and open a nonprofit and I've never really, I didn't really get to it. Cause I don't, I don't know a lot about business. I don't, I mean, it, it's, it's like getting, it's like getting a toy that you don't you can't figure out how to play with. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's the only way I can, I can <laughs> describe it. Yeah, because I don't know anything about that. It's not that I I can't learn. It's okay. What direction do I even go? I mean, what? Okay, I got this thing. What is it? What do I do with it now? Yeah, building a business is the ultimate personal development. um, Right. Our 
brain is similar. There's so many different ways, you know, our thoughts can be scattered and you have many rapid thoughts. It's the monkey mind, chatter mind. And it takes a lot of awareness and discipline and emotional and mental mastery to start to be able to be laser focused and control our thoughts, know what our thoughts are. And you really get to, and it starts with really getting to know ourselves, going through a self-discovery process. Um, and um, so you mentioned, you know, back, you know, in your rebellion days, your fraudster days, um, that, you know, you were doing these things initially for attention. You like the attention. Mm. So now, do you still like getting attention today? You, you know, not so much. Um, I think as I've gotten older and my libido has gotten, has dropped quite a bit, um, which I, pro- I probably should go get a testosterone uh, check. But it just... It, it, that that driving force that used to drive everything um has slowed down quite a bit and so with that it's not like nowadays it's like i don't want attention at all and i think a lot of that had to do with um with going to prison and just you know just like experiencing that lifestyle and it was just I don't know, man. It, it was, it was, it wasn't real. It, it, I guess that's the, I don't know if you would, if you would understand that. Um, like it, it just, it wasn't real. It was, it was fake um, because it, it wasn't anything I could keep. You know, when I got, when I got arrested, it was all gone and the people were gone. And the people that I kept from going to prison were all gone. You know what I mean? They never stuck around. It was just, and so like all of the attention that I gotten and everything that I did to try to procure that attention and, you know, make my space, you know, I would always hang out with people that were, had a little bit less than I did. Right. So we were all drug addicts, but I was a drug addict that, still had the car and, and didn't get hadn't, hadn't hidden that bottom yet right <clears throat> so i always had more than everybody else around me so i could always feel like the king of the dipshits um you know i guess and it was uh and i and i always would make my my situations like i don't know just sort of fit in that in that in that sense but at the end of the day i mean it was all it was all fake because none of it lasted none of it was real couldn't keep any of it and the people that that i met disappeared just as fast as they came and so at the end of the day i was left hanging hanging with the uh you know what i mean the music stopped and i didn't have a chair (laughs) and i was the only one left standing yeah but it wasn't fake though it was real it's very real you were in prison well yeah i mean it was but i mean just like it just wasn't it wasn't it's a different facade that you chase and then the reality of it when it all comes down down to it is completely different than than the reason that kept you there to begin with because you think you're invincible you know you think it's never going to happen to you Mm -hmm. and you know that i'm never going to get caught 
and there was a certain point where I really didn't care if I got caught. There was a certain point where I didn't think I was going to live to see 27 anyways. You know, I didn't think I was going to live to see 32 anyways. And so like I had, you know, I think three times, I mean, I almost died four or five times. Three of them were drug overdoses and two were uh, vehicle um, accidents that were caused by me being under the influence. And so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that, that had happened that would always just make me like, oh, like, why am I still here? You know what I mean? I can't, I, no matter how hard I try, I just can't manage to not, I just can't manage to not wake up. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah. Anyways. Well, you've been through a lot of, you know, I would say, tra- I would say traumatic experience. I mean, you know, um, you're, you're, but all self inf- self inflicted though. So that's the difference. You know what I yeah, mean? When- but you know, your, your, the way you handle, obviously you feel neglected by your parents as you feel like your when you're growing up and you're this rambunctious child, you know, you have a lot of energy. Um, you liked attention. They were caught. They're obviously busy. They were cops. Um, do you feel like, and you had a sibling, did you feel like you weren't getting enough attention or enough emotional support, positive emotional support from your parents? Probably. I mean, when my mom, I mean, when I was in the third grade, she was, that's when latchkey kids started. Right. So third grade, how old are you in the third grade? I mean, you're what kindergarten, you're five, six, seven, maybe you're eight years old. You know, so from the time I was eight all the way till I, you know, went to, you know, got kicked out of the house, you know, as a teenager, I was taking care of myself. You know, my mom was literally working in San Francisco, so I would hardly ever see her. And so, I mean, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. So you You got kicked out at the age of, from your family home at the age of 16? Yeah, that she gave me up as a ward of the court because she couldn't control me. And so basically they had custody of me now. So whenever I get in trouble, it was go to juvenile hall or go, you know what I mean? If I didn't follow the directions and my mom said, Hey, come get him. <laughs> my probation officer would, you know, arrange whatever they needed to arrange. So, um, you know, but I mean, that didn't mean it, it still didn't change the fact that she was still working late and you know i had the run of the house to myself there just wasn't no option she had to work and i took advantage of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she eventually you know gave you up to the system uh, um <clears throat> because she felt like in your words she felt like she couldn't handle a rambunctious child um did you feel abandoned when she did that did you feel a sense of abandonment I don't remember. I mean, I would imagine that it didn't feel good, (laughs) you know, that, you know, it's like, fuck, man. But I mean, a lot of it was like, I can't, I can't blame anything on, on them. I mean, I was the way that I was and, you know, irregardless if it was because they got a divorce, it was because I, I grew up watching them fight with each other. Um, you know, sometimes verbally, sometimes physically, um you know i was told i never watched any of it but you know i i turned out to be somewhat of the same way so i must have seen something um you know so i don't know i have no idea Mm -hmm. all i know is that 
I spent a lot of years um, getting messed up and learning bad behaviors and, you know, all of this stuff. And so the next part of, you know, the first 30 years, 35, you know what I mean? We're all that. So the next 30 years are going to be, you know, trying to fix you know, all of that, <laughs> fix the, the, you know, try to correct those behaviors that became wrong to, you know, take away the toxicity of, of, you know, whatever it is, you know, not being somebody who yells at people, not being someone who's angry all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That stems from, you know, just lack of not of self-love of, you know, if we're not shown positive, emo- shown love or shown that positive emotional support, um, how can we possibly show it to ourselves? And, you know, we just become angry and yeah, it's, you know, that's just part of the human development process we have to. And I know I'm a firm believer that we can reparent ourselves and, you know, tr- you know, show our own selves love, like self through self love, um, you know, which requires a lot of, discipline. I mean, it takes effort to choose, Hey, I'm going to spend, take the time out of my free time to get to know myself and, you know, show myself love by doing stuff that brings me joy. You know, whether that's reading a book or being in nature, journaling to find out your, you tapping into your feelings, you know, like, um, and getting to know your body more too, in terms of what it's really feeling so we can enhance our intuition more. So we have a better connection with ourself, you know, and also most importantly, trust ourselves more. So, you know, a lot of people, it's very common for people to have, um, obstacles around fully trusting themselves, themselves just due to, you know, without major parental, like, or without, you know, being in, in, involving parents. Um, it could just be just a fun, you know, society, we're just told what to do, what to say, you know, we're just constantly dependent upon society to, um, you know, for conditioning purposes, we're conditioned so it's very common for people to like not fully trust themselves just a result of you know functioning in north american society right so um everybody wants to fit in and um you know in our mainstream cult you know there's a certain you go to school you go to college or university get a good job you get married you have kids um these are things that you know you're told to do and there's a certain you know, so we're not, we're never, we're we're never really, we're taught to listen to our inner voice, trust our inner voice. Um, Yeah, you're taught if you hear, if you hear voices that you're, that you're crazy. If you're, if you're talking to yourself and I talk to myself all the time, especially when there's nobody around, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm chattering away. (laughs) So positive self self self-talk is really important. Um, to do, to cultivate a relationship with yourself and also to talk to, you know, the bad parts, the bad programming, this, the other part of us that you know, is 
that we want to understand more and why that part exists. You know, it's existing for a reason. Um, it's existing. It wants, it wants something, you know, in your case, as you're describing your story, when you're younger, you wanted attention. So that's, and you got that attention in the form of rebellion and, um, and also feeling competent through, you know, these fraudster games and you were getting stimulated through these fraudster games mentally, as opposed to, you know, you could have gotten stimulated if, you know, maybe through, if you, you know, went to, you know, you know what I mean? It's like you replaced. Mm -hmm. And um, it's that you get a sense of accomplishment. So, you know, even, even through crime, people are getting that sense of accomplishment status because they're becoming good criminals or whatever through, through whatever they're doing <laughs> um, <laughs> you know basically a game um running a game or whatever uh outsmarting the system um so you have to just kind of look at that and because if you because parts bad parts good parts they all exist for a reason and um you know if you're because you're, if you're doing something to get attention or to have a sense of accomplishment, um, you know, you could replace it with, you know, getting a sense of accomplishment through something more positive, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to destructive. Yeah. Because you're just, you're, it's, you're basically, it's self-destruction, you know, what you've been through, even though you say that you've um, harmed others you know, with the girls that you speak of in terms of calling them out of their money. But ultimately, you've really, you've, um, you've destroyed yourself. I mean, you're destroying yourself. Like people who commit destruction upon others really are committing destruction upon themselves, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. To, a, to a certain extent. Because <clears throat> you're, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's self-defeating basically <clears throat> yeah because you because a lot of the times i would create situations where i'd feel bad and i just like i don't feel bad anymore so i'll just go get high and i'll forget about feeling bad and then it, we're off to the races again <laughs> you know what i mean yeah it was just it was just all it was it's just it's crazy the mind is crazy the when you know the the stories that the elaborate and the lengths that i would go sometimes to to not get in trouble and and lies on top of lies on top of lies on top of lies on top of lies like there was there was one point where i mean i would just lie for no reason like just something stupid like there would be no reason to lie about it, but it was so used to lying about shit that it was just, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, try to get it back. And I can't, it's, oh, it's already gone. <laughs> it's like, damn, mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lies, lying. People can get addicted to lying too. Um, it's pathological liar, but We've actually studies have shown, and I'm actually I used to do it with my students when I was a college instructor, trying to motivate them to you know study hard and get good marks. 
because um, that was part of my, you know, uh, job performance was ensuring they get good results. So I took a deep, that's when actually when I really started taking a deep dive really deeper into personal development so that I can motivate them. Um, yeah, when we lie, we actually are, our bodies get physically weaker. It's done, it's been proven through kinesthetic studies, um, muscle testing. So, um, you know, you could test it with you and somebody and a friend. Um, if you say, you just hold out your arm and have a friend push it down, like, and show how strong you are. And the friend can barely push it down because you're resisting and it's your arms basically like a pillar. And then if you put your arm out again, you know, your dominant arm that you write with, um, and then say, and just say a lie, like, you know, your name, your real name is Sean, just say, your name is Christy and three times. And my name's Christy, my name's Christy, my name's Christy. And then your arm would be much weaker. Like when they go again, when you pull your arm again and you get the friend to put resistance against it, you're not gonna be able to be as strong as before. Your arm will literally almost drop real hmm. easy, like a, like a feather. So um, yeah, it, it actually, you know, so it's, um, it is not healthy to lie to yourself. So, you know, it just goes to show like, and also the unconscious mind, whatever we speak of towards another human being, like if we say bad things or when you do bad things too, the unconscious mind can't, um, is not, does not understand that you're speaking of another individual. So it takes it in as if you're talking badly to about yourself as well. So when we really do on bad things onto others, it really does affect us. Um, and that's, I think, and even in the Bible, I think, it's, you know, when Jesus was, you know, I guess it's the golden rule in the Bible, but, you know, when he's saying that golden rule, it's actually like literally what we do unto others literally affects us. Like it, it's, we, it's our unconscious mind thinks that we're attacking ourselves. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that before. Yeah. So, but today you're a responsible citizen. You're, you have a stable. Computer. I'm fixed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cured. <laughs> have, you, no. have you seeked like any, like, like help in terms of therapy or personal development? No, I've, I haven't gotten into any of that type of stuff. Um, the podcast has been my therapy, really, uh, being able to talk to people. In the beginning, it was, you know, when I would I would have people on to talk about self-sabotage, the stuff that I was going through, um, things that I would, you know, had suffered from before. Like, you know, I would always have to burn the house down because if the house wasn't burning, like, you know, and I think that had a lot to do with growing up in the chaos that I did in, in my home, you know, a lot of fighting, a lot of, uh, you know, violence and stuff like that. And so I think that's where being comfortable in chaos, you know, and when the chaos isn't there, it's like, I would always find a, a way to, to, you know, burn the house down and, and bring the chaos, you know, and so I would always try to convince myself that oh, I do a lot better under pressure, you know, in situations like that. That's not true. Mm -hmm. That's not true. I just, 
that's where I'm more comfortable. Doesn't mean that I actually am producing anything more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have a personal development podcast, so I'm sure you, yeah, definitely learned through interview yeah. guests and had some insights, you know. Mm-hmm. So what have personality, you- personality people, uh, you know, some authors that wrote a book about personality, um, some uh, licensed therapists I'd have on, you know, a lot of them, people that wrote books, but, you know, they would come on and then I would ask them the questions that, you know, hey, I'm kind of struggling with this. Like, what, what is that about? Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sh- have you like learned anything about yourself? um or a certain solution or a technique through your guests through your podcast that you've implemented in terms of you know projection not projecting my my stuff onto other people mm-hmm. and that's something i used to do quite a bit and it wasn't until dealing with somebody who was more toxic than me that actually mirrored my behavior back to me through how they were acting and I was like well I do the same thing and so that that was another thing you know when you can a lot of the times you know I learn I learn more about myself when I see what I do by watching what other when I see my own behavior in other people and I see it like in in real time (laughs) happening in front of me because I know I know you know we know how we are you know you know how you are and I mean, you may forget about it or, you know, not pay attention, but I mean, you know, your tendencies, if you've been around yourself long enough. And so like, I would know those and I forgot where I was going with that, but. Yeah, 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 no, it's cool. You know, today you're a changed man. You're sober. Mm-hmm. We, you know, love hearing that and you have a stable career, you know, and so you've made, you know, you, you're being a good role model to your daughter and you have a healthy relationship with your daughter and you have a personal development podcast, you know, which is great and you're further growing in. Mm -hmm. So. And a good relationship with her mom too, which is not the easiest thing to do, you know, when you're trying to co-parent, you know, a lot of times it uh, you know, it's hard to separate, the, the child from the relationship that failed you know what i mean and so that's where that's where we've managed to be successful because we just deal with we don't if it if it doesn't have anything to do with our daughter then it then we don't need to talk about it mm-hmm. you know what i mean i don't she i don't care about your feelings about how i was you don't care about my feelings about how you were you know what i mean none of that is relevant the only thing that's relevant is raising our kid and coming together and doing that in a way that's going to be more most beneficial for her and us getting along and implementing those things right Mm um yeah and yeah and that's awesome i mean you made a lot of progress i mean considering where you were prior i mean that's a lot of progress i mean you could still be you could still be doing drugs. You could still be committing fraud, you know, being still be in prison. <laughs> yeah. You could still be in prison. Um, 
yeah, so you, you know, you made a lot of progress upon being released. You made a decision to not go back to that life. So that's really, you know, it's really awesome. It's really remarkable. And the fact that you've actually, um, are being a good dad to your daughter and that's motivating you to be a good dad and get along with her mother. Um, that's really, that's really awesome. That's really something to be really proud of and really commendable. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully who's ever out there that, you know, been on a toxic journey, um, hopefully this inspires somebody that's maybe on a, you know, a journey, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be like toxicity is toxicity. It doesn't have to be, you know, addicted to drugs. I think it was me and Elsie yesterday were talking about, you know, you could have addiction to overeating and food. It's, it could be anything that is causing a consequence to your health or mental health as well. It could be anything um, that you, we can use a procrastination, you can addict to procrastination, which is going to sabotage your progress. So all these behaviors are really tied into self-destruction and lack of, and this is, I think as a culture, we've collectively realized this. And this is why there's such a huge, like emphasis now on self-love and there's more books being written about it. And it's really trending because now people are opening up their eyes to the root cause of these behaviors is self-love, lack of self-love. Um, just due to not being like shown full emotional support, most commonly in the home childhood. Um, and now people are learning how to reparent themselves. Yeah. Well, we don't come with an owner's manual, you know, and a lot of the things that we, we get caught up in have to do with um, mind stuff, right? Mindset and, you know, learning how your mind works and learning that, you know, if there's somebody that I don't like, why don't I like them? And why does, what, you know what I mean? When somebody annoys me, it's usually because I recognize something in them that annoy that I'm annoyed about myself. Mm -hmm. And so we don't learn that. You don't learn that when you're a kid, you don't learn that, you know what I mean? And how to navigate that in your mind and how powerful it is and how you can literally put yourself into a panic attack. I mean, I've done it, you know, I, I've let my mind run in a situation where it almost made me, you know, lose a job because of, you know, my mind just ran with something. And so I think a lot of it is, is learning that, but we don't, we don't come with a manual. We don't, you know, and if your parents aren't parents that are like right there teaching you what these things are and, you know, having a child myself, it's not, it's not always the easiest thing to do. You know, especially when, you know, you work all the time and it's, you're tired and, you know, it's, it's just enough sometimes that I could just keep my eyes open and watch TV with her and not, and try not to fall asleep, you know, so having conversations and explaining things and, um, you know, trying to teach, teach her the things that I didn't know that I wish I knew, you know, versus trying to give her the life that I wish I'd had when I was a kid. You know, that doesn't, 
I mean, I don't know, man. It just doesn't, to me, there's way more important things than, than trying to give things. There's more material things, you know what I mean? Um, there's more, there's more important stuff out there that you need to teach uh, your children versus giving them material gifts and stuff. It's showing them, you know, love through emotional support, you know, giving them hugs, um, you know, you know, going to their hockey games and cheering yeah. on, um, you know, it's um, telling them they're doing a good job in school and you recognize how hard they're working and it's, guiding them in life as well and teaching them keeping your word mm-hmm. that's a huge one because they that's one thing with them that that if you say you're going to do something and you don't show up they will remember because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're 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 the center of their universe you're probably the one of the i mean you know i may not spend a lot of time with her but I mean, I'm her dad and she knows I'm her dad. And so I'm one of the most important people in her life and not being there, you know, when you say you're going to, and you don't show up that, that affects them. You know, they remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah. And it, it makes them feel like they're not important. It sends indirect messages that they're not important enough, that they're not a priority. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like if it's a reoccurring thing, most yeah, of yeah, the yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, it's not the first time you do it, but I mean, it's like, you know, it, but you just don't want to get into the habit of doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's, uh, you know, I, I try not to. I try to show up at all of her games. I mean, she's, she's not even five years old and she's in T-ball and gymnastics. So, I mean, I'm taking her to T-ball all the time and showing, going to her gymnastics and all that. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know, I got a long time to go. So, you know, <laughs> so you have fun. now a, a positive, healthy relationship with the female now, and that's your daughter, right? Mm-hmm. So you've achieved that. You know, maybe that was the reason why she came through was for you to experience a, po- a positive relationship with the female. Maybe. I never thought about it like that. I have yeah. a good relationship with my mom, though. We're pretty close. No, that's good. That's good. So you guys are close now. Well, we've always been close. She's never, she's never uh, turned her back on me. So, like, she's always been there, no matter what. That's good. That's good. That's that's really good. Um, where else can we go from here? Um, Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that is your podcast, which you talk about personal development. And so, guys, you know, I recommend check out Sean Destin's podcast, Nowhere to Go But Up. Um, he talks about personal development and he has guests on sharing their transformational stories from victim to victor um so and on the podcast description there will be a link to sean's link tree and instagram page and so sean any departing words any words of wisdom to people that are trying to get out of a toxic lifestyle in any in any way that looks like it could be food it could be anything any toxic lifestyle 
well first you have to recognize that you even have one mm -hmm. you know and once you recognize it you need to start thinking about behaviors that serve you and behaviors that don't and eliminating the behaviors that don't and people too because people can serve us either good or bad you know if you have a toxic person in your life they're not probably not serving you well right and and i don't mean like well in, in a way but i mean just just they just don't serve you they're not they're not in your in your lane i guess you would say right like you you want to keep people around you that you want to be like because we are the average of the five people that we spend most of our time with mm -hmm. and so if you're looking to level up if you're looking to change well look at the people around you look at where you want to be and look at who you have around you and yes it may seem sort of messed up but look you're the only person that's going to get you where you want to go nobody else is going to do it nobody else is going to take you out of your discomfort and put you somewhere where you're going to be happy you have to find that for yourself and the only way that you can find it is to go within yourself and you will not make anybody happy until you are happy by yourself from yourself Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always say like, once I disconnected from all toxicity, I connected with myself. I fully connected with myself, meaning disconnected from toxic people, connected, well, I guess really toxic people. I didn't really have any toxic um, behavior, unless I, sometimes I would you know, overeat on carbohydrates uh, to self-soothe, you know, to deal with work stress. Um, but any, but anywho, but yeah, once you, once you, I really spent time alone and really dive deep into, you know, traumas in whatever shape or form they were, uh, whether those were, you know, childhood traumas, um, you know, or whatever I picked up and then painting the world around me in a, in a very limited perception. And um, yeah, once I realized I was doing that and you know, I was able to have more flexible thinking and see more possibilities around me, right? So it's, it starts really with, that is the most important thing is really to get, to get away from toxic people because it's seeping into your energy and it's affecting mm -hmm. you. And then also connecting with yourself. And I, and I, for me, you know, it doesn't have to be like, I think when, you know, when you, when people say they're, they disconnect, like, you know, going through this like alone time. For me, the way I view it as it's like, it doesn't have to be permanent. Not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a, like a, basically like a, like a hermit for life or, you know, living in solitude, confinement or anything like that for the rest of your life. It's kind of like, for me anyways, it's a, having that time to be able to reset yourself, get to know yourself, reconnect with yourself, develop a relationship with yourself to, to really form a much more healthier mindset and, a, and have a stronger mindset, have a stronger mind so that you can cultivate healthy relationships and you're not going to be prey to toxic uh, people anymore. So for me, because I'm, I'm very empathic towards people, I thought I was strong enough to take on those toxic people because I felt bad for them. So 
I felt like I was a bad person if I completely cut them off because, oh my God, they're in pain uh, at times, you know? So, but, you know, these were just toxic people that they were not going to change. They can only change themselves. And so you're just hurting yourself and you're actually hurting them too. You're actually enabling them because you're sending a message. They can continue getting away with this and they still have, um, they're still getting like support from you, attention from you. So you're by cutting them off, you know, it, it, it actually, you're going to help them, um, send them a message of like, this is not okay. And no matter what I say or do, you're, you're you know, you could preach all your life to these people, but you can't change. They can only change themselves. So. Yeah. They have to come to the conclusion that their behavior is not working for whatever it is that, that they're trying to do. And, you know, bottoms are different for everybody. You know, what's, what, what my bottom was may have been way more than what somebody else's was or vice versa. And it really doesn't matter. It, it, uh, it takes what it takes. And, you know, once not everybody and not everybody makes it there. That's the thing too depending on the the drug of choice or your you know what you're addicted to like if you're addicted to heroin a lot of the times and those folks go back out they don't come back in you know they 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 end up over overdosing and, and dying um you know or get get some fentanyl or something and it you know it just it just doesn't work out so i mean not everybody is able to to make it to where i'm at um, and, you know, I feel bad for those folks because they were, you know, at some point it, it's just, a, it's just, it's so, it's so sad. It's sad sometimes, you know, because just thinking of my own, my own addiction and, and struggling with it and, you know, just thinking about other people that are just lost in, in this, in their own, whatever it is, or traumas and, and the things that they've gone through and trying to figure out a way out of it. And it's, uh, it's 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 hard to describe but it's uh it's not a fun place mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah it's definitely not um you know some people refer to it you know when you're going when you're trying to reprogram like a lot of the times yeah you end up spending a lot of time alone and in what people call it the dark night of the soul um but you know it's you're it's like you're just purging out you're just purging out your just negativity, negative energy, negative thoughts, neg negative mindset, negative reprogramming, uh, traumas, most importantly, purging out traumas. And, um, and then I, most importantly, the, the way to really release a trauma. Number one, you have to identify it. And um, honestly, like, you know, you're, there's a lot of layers to it. So you're going to have to go over um, you know, I like to use for myself timeline therapy and NLP, it's called timeline therapy. Essentially, you're just going back in time and essentially you have to kind of learn, you know, what was the lesson you needed to learn from the situation that caused the trauma? What was the truth around it? And who did you have to become as a result of that trauma? And then you have to, that's how you just release that because mm -hmm. it's, not, you know, whoever you had to become was a, because of the trauma was a self-defense mechanism or a way to achieve something that you weren't getting. 
in another me in another another way in another perhaps that wasn't healthy or protect yourself so you limit your behavior um so you it, it's it, that's essentially how you release the traumas is through the lesson and you know and not, and not a lot of people are uh ha- are that brave to face it a lot of people it's a lot easier to be in denial about it normalize it and um because it feels better it feels better to say yeah that you know to just kind of not acknowledge it um because you know the embarrassing who wants to admit that to anybody or themselves um it's not sexy it's you know why go down that lane right so so a lot of people it's just much easier to but the thing is when you do that you're just continuing on with the toxic behavior or allowing toxicity in your life and and then what happens is you're suppressed you're suppressed and the dirt and you're hiding this dirt and it just keeps growing like a mountain and to the point where it's like it just blows up like a volcano and then you're kind of forced to deal with it so this is why we have personal pot personal development pot- <laughs> <laughs> and this is why there's literally millions and millions of personal development books and millions mm-hmm. and millions of personal development leaders and seminars and such, um, you know, because of these very reasons that we're talking about. So guys, if you enjoy this podcast, um, subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And thanks, Sean, for being here and sharing your story of transformation with the Happy Being Well audience. And guys, be happy being well. Until next time.